listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Get after Bibles. We're going to be in Psalm 1 this morning. Uh, first, let me introduce myself. My name is Clint Wright. I'm the associate pastor here. And I'm very thankful that each and every one of you are here. We believe God has you here for a reason. And so we're going to continue our sermon series on wisdom. In fact, this is our last Sunday. We're going to be in the book of Psalms. And so we've selected Psalm 1 because Psalm 1, it's kind of like a summary of the whole book. He's kind of summarizing all the wisdom that's going to come up in the whole book of Psalms. Uh, and it's a wisdom psalm, it's a magnificent psalm, and it's a psalm that makes a really bold claim. According to this psalm, you can be happy. The first word in the psalm promises blessedness. It's that word blessed, and really, translation for that word is happy. Now, it's not just kind of circumstantial happiness, it's not just kind of this emotion, it's this deep overriding joy that kind of supersedes all of our circumstances and all of our passing emotions. And this psalm says, what's coming in this book, if you use it, you can be happy. Isn't that what each and every one of us really wants? Isn't that kind of what we spend our whole life chasing is happiness, yet I'm convinced that happiness escapes most of us. And so we kind of feel like we're kind of this hamster on a treadmill, always kind of chasing happiness and never quite catching it, and I'm convinced that's because we're almost always wrong about what's going to make us happy, aren't we? I found this week, I found this study called the World Happiness Report, and so it's all these scientists, all these experts went and studied, they go study the whole world about what's going to make us happy. They try to figure it out, and they narrow it down to there's really six factors that should make us happy. And so as these things, as we get more of these, we should be happier. As we get less of these, we should be less happy. And so they, they put out this report, and it's fairly new, about the whole world. But, y'all, they had to devote an entire chapter. It's only like six chapters. And a whole chapter out of the whole world is about us. It's about America. Because here's what they say. There's two of these factors that are really the most material. So how much money you have and how healthy you are, how, health, how healthy you are kind of like your, uh, how long you live. And they say, hey, if those things go up, you should be happier. But here's what happened. Those things have gone up in our culture, and you are less happy. And that don't make any sense. And then they say this about the other four factors. These are more social factors, kind of like your friend group and political environment. They say, yeah, those have, most people say, gone down in our culture, but not near to the extent of how unhappy you are. At best, those factors should account for about half of your unhappiness. So here's what all the experts are saying. They're looking at you saying, we don't understand what's going on with y'all. We don't get it. We can at best explain about half of your unhappiness. But then, talk about your wealth, talk about your health. You should be happier than you are. We don't know what's wrong with you. That's what they're saying. I was reading this. I was reminded about a comedian that I saw on The Tonight Show one time. And he's talking about flying on this airplane. He's on this airplane flying, and they have internet on the airplane. He's like, this is great. So they get out the computer. They're surfing the internet on the airplane, and the guy next to him gets angry. He gets furious at how slow the internet is on the airplane. He says, you're sitting in a chair 
flying through the air, thousands of feet in the air, going hundreds of miles an hour, a journey that used to take months, you can do between meals now, and we found a way not only to do that for you, but then to give you internet while you're doing it, and you're unhappy about that. Right? The way he says it, everything is amazing, and no one is happy. Isn't that true sometimes? Man, we have all we could ever want. We have the most technology. We have all of these things that should make us happy, and yet it doesn't. And I think that's because most of us think like, about happiness like baking a cake. You know, if I can just get the right ingredients, and, and it's all kind of these external factors, these six things that all the experts say should make me happy. If I can just get the right amount of this, right amount of this, right amount of this, right amount of this, man, my cake will come out nice and yummy, and I'll be happy. That's not what the psalmist is going to say. He's going to say, yeah, you can be happy, but here's how you get to happiness. Here's how you get to joy. His big idea, and our big idea this morning, happiness is a matter of belonging. Happiness is a matter of belonging. Let's read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. The psalmist starts off by saying, you know, there's a negative here. If you want to be happy, there's something you may have to get rid of. There's something you may need to detach yourself from. And he kind of gives this progression. It's, it's like there's this momentum to unhappiness. Percy says, don't, listen, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. This picture of, of walking in someone's counsel, it's this picture of intellectual agreement. And so the things that uh, the world around us, the, way, the, the things that they say and they think, we think about that and we say, yeah, I agree with that. And so we read this study and we say, yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's the way to happiness. I get these Six factors, and so maybe I need eight hours of sleep. I need to make more money. I need to take a vacation. You know, my kids need to be in all the right activities. I need the right friends. Those are the things. That's the, what the world tells me I need to be happy. And we walk in their counsel, and we say, yeah, I agree with that. That makes sense. Next it says, don't stand in the way of sinners. This standing in the way, it's a picture of lifestyle. It's kind of when we've moved beyond intellectual agreement because we've adopted all the assumptions of the world around us. It's all the ways we agree without even thinking about it. Like there's a saying, the fish is the last to understand water, right? The fish is so close to water, so engulfed in it, he often doesn't think about that the world could be the other way. He doesn't stop and think about the water he's in. It's just what he naturally knows and assumes about his life. You know, I think there's a few ways we can see how a lot of times we just... We just adopt the assumptions of our culture. We can see this as our culture changes. Think about TV. Think about some of the things that you see on TV or on Netflix that you see, and you don't even think twice about it. It's no big deal. But man, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, man, you'd have noticed they'd have been controversial. It'd have made you stand up and start thinking about this, but now we don't even think about it because it's so commonplace. It's assumed, isn't it? 
Our culture is undergoing a lot of changes when it comes to church. We don't do church the way we used to. Most surveys will tell you most people today plan on going to church about half the time. Hey, about two Sundays a month, I'm going to make it to church. Without even thinking about it, it's not because they dislike church. It's not because their thoughtful attitude about church has changed. It's just assumed. Man, I'm going to have vacations. We're going to have activities. We're going to have other things going on. We're going to be tired. Well, think about when you were a kid growing up, right? Man, 50 years ago, if you woke up on Sunday morning and your arm fell off, you're going to church. We'll deal with it later, right? It hurts many men's on that one. And so our, our assumptions about how we should do this thing have changed. We're like this uh, about money. We, we live in a consumeristic culture, and so our assumption is if I have money and can afford it, I should spend it. Or if I can find someone to loan me that money, I should spend it. You, know, you go look at other cultures and other ways of thinking, that, that is not an operating assumption. In fact, the Old Testament says a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. To our culture, that sounds crazy. Children's children? Who's got time to think about that? right? So we adopt all the assumptions of our culture without even thinking about it. And finally, the last step is, we, he says, don't sit in the seat of scoffers. And this picture of sitting in a seat is a picture of allegiance. In biblical times, where you sit is where you belong. Where you sit is where you belong. Each and every one of you are sitting in a chair right now, and you've put your full weight on that chair, the full weight of your life. And so back then, if you said, hey, I sit with the Greeks, that meant you were one of them. If I sit with the Jews, you were one of them. It's where you belonged. It's like the lunchroom back at school, right? Back then, maybe you go, maybe you sat with the athletes, or maybe you sat with the band. What you were saying is, hey, these are my people. This is my squad. This is where I belong. We think alike, we talk alike, we dress alike. It's where you find your identity. And so we don't Maybe as adults do the lunchroom quite as often. But it's how you finish the sentence, I am a... So maybe it's with a hobby. Man, I'm a fisherman. That's what I am. I hang out with other fishermen. I think about fishing. I spend my free time fishing. There you go. Maybe it's your job. I'm an accountant. So I dress like a counter, do the work of an accountant. Maybe it's your political party. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. Maybe it's even your citizenship. I'm an American. This is how I define myself and how I identify. Maybe it's one of the many roles you have in your life. I'm a father. I'm a mother. I'm a husband. I'm a wife. And here's what the Bible says. Here's what Psalm 1 is saying we do. This, we get this momentum of thinking as the world thinks, and we let scoffers define our seat. A scoffer is one who mocks and who ridicules the very idea of God. And so, not even legitimate doubt, not even legitimate questions, they think it's silly that anyone would believe in God and try to follow Him. They're completely devoted to themselves, and all of regard for God is absolutely gone. And so they think this whole God thing is just kind of silly. Why would you not just do things the way everyone else does them? And so what we let them do is we let them identify the roles we put in our life. We say, I'm a father, and then we let the scoffers define what a father is and what a father looks like. And there we sit. There we belong. There's a huge irony in this, that it's the scoffers who do this. Because in verse 4, he compares scoffers to chaff, or think like a tumbleweed, right? 
So uh, the chaff is kind of the, the leftovers. It's the weightless, empty, leftover part of wheat. And so this is how they would separate wheat back in the day. They'd have a big pile of it. They'd throw it in the air, and the actual wheat, the part you wanted, had some weight to it, and so it would fall. Not the chaff. The chaff was just the, kind of the outer shell, and it was weightless, and so the wind would just blow it away, just like a tumbleweed. It just goes wherever the wind takes it. So here's the deal with a tumbleweed. Y'all, it is completely free, completely free, but it's completely aimless. It can and it will go anywhere. It has no inherent direction, no anchor to its life. And y'all, isn't this, isn't this the way our, our culture is and how it paints happiness and how it says to pursue happiness? Think about all the things that people believed and assumed and did 50 years ago that may seem silly to you today. I think one of the best, best most visible examples of this is how we dress. Men in the room. 50 years ago, men dressed like this. Right? May the day return. There is so much in this picture, y'all. I could look at this for days. Three hundred years ago, they dressed like this. Uh, notice he has tights on, y'all. This hair—that is not his hair. That is a wig. If we were living 300 years ago, sitting in church, men, all of us would have big flowing wigs on, right? That's what you did. And they didn't think about it when they put it on. Of course, that's what a man dresses like. Well, here's the deal, y'all. It's going to be the same with you. 50 years ago or 50 years from now, your kids are going to get out your yearbook and they're going to laugh at what you look like. It's going to happen. You see the irony here? Scoffers mock what God says in following his ways. And yet 50 years from now, the new scoffers are just going to mark, mock the old scoffers. Why? Because the wind will have blown a new direction and there go all the tumbleweeds just being blown away. But 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 3,000 years from now, for all eternity, people will be believing, worshiping, and following the ways of God. It's not like the chaff. It doesn't just float away. So maybe in your life, you feel like you've searched for happiness a lot, but it constantly seems to escape you. Here's what the psalmist is saying first. You may need to break an illusion. You may not be happy because you are belonging to the wrong things. You're sitting in the wrong spot. And so it's time to stand up. It's time to start rethinking maybe, maybe the assumptions of your life. But you may say when listen to this, okay, but how do I really know what I belong to. How do I really know if I'm following the ways of God? Am I sitting with God or am I sitting in the ways of the world? I mean, the things that I think and I believe and the ways to act, what parts are from God? What parts are from my family? What parts are from my culture? It's not that easy to parse in your own mind, is it? It all kind of gets muddled up together. But it's going to help us in verse 2. In verse 2, he says this. He says, we belong to what delights us. You want to know where you belong? You want to know which seat you've sat in? Look at what delights you. He said, here it is with the righteous. They delight in the law of the Lord. Now, the law of the Lord is bigger than just the rules. It's not just the rules of God. He's talking about all the words of God, all of his revelation, his whole story written down right here, the whole thing. Men and women, this is God's mind written down. He says, man, the righteous, they delight in each and every bit of this. 
this word delight, this is your chief desire. It's the desire that fuels all of your actions. And so something you delight in, it's a subject you love, you pour over it, you can't get enough of it. So I'm a fan of LSU football, right? As all righteous men are. There's a lot of people disagree with that. When I pull up my, you know, my news feed or something, guess what? If there's an, art, an article about LSU football, I don't have to be compelled. I don't have to be convinced. I don't have to be talked into. It's not a discipline to go read that thing. And I don't, I don't delay. I don't put it off. Immediately, it doesn't matter what else, I'm, I'm clicking that link and I'm reading the article. Why? Because I'm a fan and so I want to read about it. I want to know about it. You willingly pursue whatever it is you delight in. This is the principle Jesus gave us when he said, hey, you know what? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Your heart is going to follow what you delight in. So whatever it is you delight in, your heart will be there. There you will belong. You'll belong to whatever you delight in. So he says, what do we do? We meditate on God's word day and night and all of his revelation day and night. Now, y'all, this is not something you don't have to put your yoga pants on and light the incense and get out your mat and have some special book on how to meditate. This is not a, uh, when it says meditate here, it's not talking about something you set aside for a special time, day, and place to do. It's talking about what we do. We all do this. We all meditate. It is what stays in your mind and what you think about in all of your daily, common, everyday activities. This is easiest to see in little kids, right? You always know what little kids have been thinking about, what they've been meditating on all day long. Because you'll walk up to a little kid and you'll say, hey, Johnny, how's it going? And they'll say something like, did you know a T-Rex is a theropod? And you're like, so good, I guess. I don't know, right? They don't even answer your question because they're so consumed with what they've been thinking about all day. And there's no filter. So what do you delight in? What do you meditate on day and night? What is always milling around in your mind? Is it your work? Is it worrying about your family? Is it worrying about whatever's coming up in this next decision you got to make in this next stage of life? Is it just always this kind of pursuit of comfort? Okay, how can I be more comfortable here and now? I think for all of us, all of us, we meditate on ourselves. It is some version of yourself. We are obsessed with ourselves. We delight in ourselves, and we meditate on ourselves day and night, don't we? Well, then in verse 3, he gives us this amazing picture of happiness. And it's a picture of a tree. And here's what we learn from the tree in verse 3. Here's what he's going to tell us. Happiness is a byproduct of where we belong. Happiness is a byproduct of where we belong. See, I think this is a great picture. Because often we think about, okay, the, the, the picture of someone who meditates on God's word day and night, we picture like a nerd. That's not the picture we get. It's not a picture of a nerd. It's not a picture of just some righteous, pious, lifeless person. And it's not just a picture of someone who's just kind of generally nice. It's a picture of life. It is a picture of someone who is alive who is joyful, and who is happy. That's the picture of the tree. But where does the, the life, the happiness of this tree come from? It comes from its roots. This tree has set itself down and dug deep roots down into the earth. 
And so even now, we, today we understand that to set down roots in a place is to belong somewhere. It's to belong to a place. And so this tree has set down roots right next to the living water. You know what? Those roots, man, that chaff may be totally free, but those roots for that tree, those roots don't hold it back. Those roots don't cramp its style. Those roots don't keep it from life. Those roots give it life. But they need access to one thing. The roots need access to water. They need access to the living water, right? That's where the life is found. Well, in this context, what's the water? It's the Word of God. It's this, right? Remember? This is the living water in this context. And so what he's saying here with this picture of the tree is simply this. You cannot know God. You cannot experience God. You cannot belong to God apart from His Word. It takes His Word to have a relationship with Him. So that's why, men and women, that's why it's entirely possible come to church, to be a really nice person, to serve a lot of people, but you're not drawing upon him and his word for life. Your roots have not reached down into this book and drawn life out of it. There's a couple really very important things we learned from the tree about happiness. First is this, happiness is internal, not external. Happiness is internal, not external. Let me put it this way. If you can see it, it won't make you happy. If you can manipulate it, if you can buy it, if you can touch it, it will not make you happy. And y'all, we know this, but we don't know this, right? We know this deep down, and yet, man, when we're feeling unhappy and we want to be happier, what do we do? We go to the externals, and we start trying to manipulate all the externals. And then sometimes we see a picture outside of that that kind of defies all of our assumptions. It's a very common experience, y'all, for Americans to go to a poor country, like on a mission trip or something. And then without fail, you know, we come back and we say something along the lines of, y'all wouldn't believe it. They are poor, but they're happy. They don't have all of our stuff, yet they're happy. Right? We are just shocked. We cannot believe that someone that doesn't have all this external stuff can still be happy. And y'all, that says just as much about us as it does about them. Look at this tree. It says in verse 3, its leaf doesn't wither and all that he does prospers. Now that all that he does prospers, without our American understanding, a lot of times we'll read that like, he's rich all the time. That's not what he's saying. He's saying all the seasons of life, he still has life in him. And throughout all the seasons... He still prospers. He still has life. That tree, that leaf remains green. Now, how does that leaf remain green and not wither? How does that happen? Now, in the spring, that makes sense, right? Because in the spring, externally, man, it's getting rain. It's getting the right amount of sunlight. It should be green. How does that leaf remain green in the winter when it gets no sun or in the summer when it gets too much sun and not enough water? How on earth, through all of those seasons, does that leaf not wither because its life isn't from the external. Its life is from the internal. Its life is from the roots that go deep down. So no matter what external environment it experiences, and it experiences all of the seasons, it does not wither because the happiness is internal, not external. This is why Jesus could be called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief and yet full of joy. This is how Paul can say, man, I've learned how to be content 
Y'all, in any situation, in times of plenty and in times of want. It's not a matter of whatever season I'm in. It's not a matter of my environment. It's not a matter of all the externals. It's a matter of where I belong. It's a matter of where my roots are. And he says this thing in, in verse 3, 2 that I think we miss. He says it bears its fruit in season. So this fruit is the good part. It's the fun part. It's the delicious part. It's the results, right? And so maybe our version of Psalm 1 would say it's always bearing fruit. He always bears fruit. But that's not what he says. He says it bears its fruit in season. When the season comes, yes, it bears its fruit. That's because, y'all, sometimes we look for happiness not just in our external environment but also in our external results. We think, man, if I could just bear some more fruit, then I'd be happy. If the results I could see right here and right now were right in front of my face, man, then I could be happy. But y'all, here's the deal. The tree doesn't get its life from its own fruit. Even that tree's own fruit or not what gives it life. What gives it life again? Fruit and the living water. Happiness is internal, not external. Here's, here's the second thing I think we learned from the tree. Happiness is secondary, not primary. It's secondary, not primary. This is what we mean when we say happiness is a byproduct of what we belong to. So happiness, if you chase it, if you make it the ultimate primary thing you're after, it will always escape you. You'll never find it. It's a byproduct. And that's, that's why other places, you know, the Bible talks about being blessed. So you could say the Beatitudes. There is no Beatitude that said, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessedness. Y'all, I double-checked. It's not in there. What does it say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, the blessedness is a byproduct of hunger and thirsting for the right things. And Jesus gave us this principle. He gave us this principle in Matthew. Matthew 16, he says, listen, if you chase after your own life, if you seek to save your own life, guess what's going to happen? You will not get life, and you will not get me. You will miss both. But... If you seek me, guess what? You get both. You get me and you get life. Happiness is not primary. It's secondary. So if you're here again this morning and happiness just continues to escape you, it's probably because you're making it the primary pursuit of your life. You're choosing what you're going to belong to based on whatever has the highest odds of making you happy. Hey, I'm doing the math. I think this has a pretty good job, pretty good uh, odds of making me happy, and so I'm going to go belong to this. And it'll always escape you. That's not how it works. You have to choose what to belong to based on what is true and what is right. That's what you base, where you will sit on. If you choose well, then happiness comes as a byproduct. Well, then in verse 5 and 6, he gives us some perspective, kind of like we talked about last week. He, he's going to show us the end. And he says, the end of the wicked, those who sit in the seat, those who belong to the mockers. He says in verse 5, they're going to fall and they're going to scatter. There's going to come a judgment. And when that judgment comes, they're not going to be able to stand. They're going to fall. And they're not going to be able to remain with the righteous. They're going to be spread out and they're going to be scattered. Like the chaff, right? Not like the tree. The tree stands and remains firm and belongs. And he says, their whole way is going to perish. He says that in verse 6, and he's not talking about just the individual is going to perish. He's, going to, he's saying their whole way of life, their whole way of thinking, all of their beliefs, all of their assumptions, it will all vanish. It will all go away. 
love what Spurgeon says. He says, the righteous plow the earth and leave fruit behind. The wicked plow the sea. And right after they pass, their, their way is washed away so you didn't even know it was there. Men and women, when we belong to the wrong things, you need to know it will perish so that no one even knew it was there. But not so the righteous. He says, God knows the ways of the righteous. So this word know, it's a way of saying that those who belong to God are known by him. This word know, it's not just about reading in a newspaper, factual knowledge, reading about it in a book. It is a word that communicates relationship and intimacy. It's the same word for how a husband knows a wife, not in this general set of facts, right? So you can pull up Wikipedia, and you can read a lot of facts, pick your famous person, and you can read all kind of facts about them. But do you know them? No, you don't know them. You just know about them. It's a deep emotional acquaintance with someone. In Exodus 2, it's the same word when God says he knew about Israel's suffering. It's, it's not saying God just read it in a newspaper. He's saying he's deeply concerned with, deeply invested in their suffering and intends to act on it. God knows it. It communicates, when we hear that God knows us, listen to this, it communicates a deep commitment to, love for, and care for his own. Communicates belonging. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says when we meditate on his word day and night, when we delight in it, he doesn't just see and approve from afar. You get a relationship. He knows you. Because we come to belong to him. Maybe as you've been listening, though, you thought, you know, that sounds all well and good, except I know I don't delight in the Lord. I know I don't meditate on his word always, day and night. In fact, this doesn't sound like great news to me because I've tried. I know no matter how much willpower I leave here with, no matter how many good intentions I leave here with, I'm not going to leave here and always, at all times, delight only in God and meditate only on his word day and night. I'll tell you why that is. Here's why that is. Because there's only one person in all of human history who has been the Psalm 1 man. And it's Jesus. This psalm is describing Jesus. He never sat in the seat of scoffers. He delighted to do God's will. He meditated on God's word day and night, and he was careful to do all that it said. Even in the garden facing the cross, he said, God, not my will be done, but yours. And so if we're not the tree, if we're not the Psalm 1 person, but Jesus is, how can we have happiness? How can we have life. Well, Jesus tells us in John 15, he says, here's how this works. You have to be grafted into me. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So here's how you get life. Here's how you get happiness. You abide in me. When you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. Here's what he's saying. Here's how you get life. Here's how you get happiness. You belong to me. And when you belong to me, you get access to my roots and to my living water. By belonging to the Psalm 1 man, We get the happiness of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says happiness is a matter of belonging. You know, throughout this week, there's been one image that God has really used to teach me what the psalm is saying. And it happened every day when I would come home and I would sit in my chair 
And then my daughter, would, Hannah, would run up to me, and she would crawl up, and she would sit in my lap. Why does she do that? Does she need something? No. She sat with me because she belongs to me, because she's mine. And guess what? She's happy there. Why is she happy in my lap? Because she belongs to me. So maybe some of you have come to church this morning just kind of as your way of controlling the externals, kind of finding the right recipe for happiness. You know, if I can follow the rules a little bit, do more of the right things, and maybe then I'll find life. Maybe then I'll find happiness. Let me invite you to try something different. Let me invite you to crawl up in God's lap, sit with Him, and belong to Him. If you've never done that, if you've never this morning put your faith not in your own diligence, not in your own delight in God, but in the delight of another by faith in Jesus Christ, we would love to talk to you after the service. Myself, Mark, any of our elders would love to talk to you. Let's pray together. Lord, as I reflect on Psalm 1, I'm so thankful I don't have to be perfect to belong to you. Lord, thank you that I can graft myself to you and belong to you even when I've walked in the way of sinners and I've sat in the seat of scoffers. Lord, we, this morning we repent of all the ways we sit in the seats of this world. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you this morning, I ask you to keep us from being that chaff that's blown away, that's blown all over the place by the wind. Or that's just blown all over the place by chasing our own happiness and all the things that we think we need but that are lying to us. Lord, keep us rooted in you. For Lord, this world has nothing compared to you. And everything else pales in comparison to belonging to you. And it's only because of your son we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.